Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the podcast. Today on the show, we have Jason Brewer. Yeah, we'll get more on uh, that in just a second. But first, let me tell you about this month's sponsor. It is Harbor the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. Yes, I mean, that was technically not me telling you about it, but it was my daughter, Avery. Now, Avery, uh, do you know when this conference takes place? Uh, registrations opens January 23rd, May 5th through 8th, 2020. Yes, so registration is now open. May 5th through 8th is when the conference takes place on Pepperdine's beautiful campus. Take a look at that campus. What do you think of that picture, Avery? How does it look? It looks pretty. It looks amazing. Now, uh, you're going to hear about a lot of great speakers. Uh, you've, you've probably heard a few of these ads already. And so you know Sarah Barton's going to be there. You know James K. Smith. You know that uh, Suzanne Stabile will be there. Richard Beck, Rick Ashley, Sarah Barton, all these great people. Um, but what you need to know most of all is that it's a great event with great people and you're going to learn some important stuff about how we are as the church, called and sent, the vital role of the church. It's what we're all trying to live into, and you're going to learn more about that May 5th through 8th if you join me at Harbor, the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. Now, Adeline, today on the podcast, we have a sermon that Jason and I did today at our church, the Westover Hills Church of Christ. Uh, how did you feel like it went? Good. What do you think the best part of the sermon was? Jason. Oh, Adeline, what's it like to be grounded for the next week? You excited about being grounded? No. Then who, say again what you think, think the favorite part of the sermon was. Jason. Okay, grounded for two weeks. That's it. Okay. Well, uh, on the podcast, you do hear Jason Miller. We're talking uh, about the idea of wrestling with God. And I think this is a memorable conversation. Uh, that's actually not just a conversation. It's a sermon. So check it out. Here we go. Now, um, this person right here, that I'm... We're not going to shake hands. I'm, I'm going to model this behavior. We're going to do that right there. There it was. Uh, this is my good friend, Jason Miller. Can everyone say hi to Jay? Hey. hey good morning. Hey, there it is. Now, uh, Jay and I have been friends for years. Uh, he is from South Bend, Indiana, and I've heard so many of you after first service ask the question, yes, that's where Mayor Pete lives. Yes, he is literally Jay's neighbor, and... I, I don't know why you didn't bring him with you. It's not like he's... He's been a little busy lately. But not anymore. Not anymore. He's off the nope. hook, I guess. Uh, nope. Too soon? Okay, fine. All right. Um, but uh, Jay and I met uh, where all good friendships begin, the internet. And uh, we met on the inter- internet uh, through the podcast that I have. And uh, we have since become good friends. Uh, Jay's a smart guy. His graduate degree is from Notre Dame University. And uh, he's a great preacher, but one thing that's most unique that you need to know about him, of all the preacher friends that I have, and I have a a few preacher friends, Jay is the one that my wife says, Luke, you need to spend time with Jay. He's a good influence on you. (laughs) Which I don't know what it says about the other friends. Yeah, and I'm not sure I want to claim credit for influence in your life, to be honest. We just started. We've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of work. Okay. So the sermon is about two brotherly figures that don't get along. <laughs> you picked it, man. Yeah. I feel like you lived into it, though. I mean, anyway. So the story uh, that we're talking about today is the story about Jacob and Esau. Jacob, whose name literally means deceiver or supplanter, heel grabber, um, finally comes face to face with his big brother Esau, who has every right to be mad and angry with him and every right in that world to exact revenge upon him by taking his life. So that's the background for the story. And so if you have a Bible, Genesis 32, and how about this? Why don't we all stand for the reading of God's word? And Jay, why don't you read that text to us from Genesis 32? 
The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise, everything that he had, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. The word of the Lord. Uh, Please be seated. So we have this peculiar story. Jacob is preparing to meet his brother Esau for this reunion. Jacob's name is Deceiver, and he kind of pulls a deceptive move where he puts his kids, his animals, and his wives between him and his brother, which I don't know what that says about Jacob. doesn't say too much good stuff, though. And then he decides to go to sleep, and he picks this rock as his pillow. And as he falls asleep, he has this, this encounter, and it's a peculiar one. In Greek mythology, the, there's a character named Prometheus, who kind of tries to pull one over on the gods and almost gets away with it. He almost pulls one off on the gods. Now, in the end, he doesn't. The the gods get him, and so he's uh, given this punishment of having his liver eaten by... I don't know where the liver is. Is it right there? I have no idea. Anyway, um, but trust me about hand-washing. That's very important. I do know that. Um, So there is an eagle that eats his liver every day, except overnight it regrows, and then it has the same thing happen to him over and over again every day, which is like the worst thing you could have happen to a person because outlet malls weren't yet created, right? Am I right? No? No? No. Okay, all right, fine, whatever, we'll go with it. Anyway, so this happens to Prometheus, and in some ways Jacob has this moment where he thinks he's gonna pull one off, and it seems like he's, he's doing well. Like he's having this, rest- watch what's happening. He, he's doing well in this wrestling match, and then in verse 26, then he, this figure says to him, let me go, for the day is breaking. Now, I, I don't know why he says to let him go because the day is breaking. I, it seems like he's afraid of the daylight, which seems like a vampire thing. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Whatever. That's what it says. But it's not the only peculiar thing. So as this unknown figure says, I can't be here with a light, and it's, it, it just leaves a lot of questions. Yeah, so I don't know like what Bible you're looking at, but sometimes this passage will be called Jacob Wrestles with God. But what's peculiar about it, too, is that it begins with him encountering a man in the night. Later, he says that he's wrestling with God and that God blessed him. Uh, So some of the commentators have worked with this ambiguity. Like, did he meet a man in the night? Did he meet God in the night? Was God working through the life of a stranger who met him there? Or did it start with a man and did it end up being God? And one of the commentators who's trying to think about how we can, like, find ourselves in all of that makes the point. And I think it's a good one. And he says that sometimes the ways that we wrestle with God in the night sometimes that wrestling match, it ends up looking a lot like the ways that we wrestle with one another. In fact, like perhaps sometimes we bring into that relationship with God some projections that come from the kind of um, wrestling matches that we're having with the people all around us, right? 
a few years ago, I was um, struggling in a few ways, and uh, I was struggling with some friends of mine, and I was struggling in my relationship with God, and I was seeing a counselor to get some good help to kind of talk through all this stuff. And so this counselor of mine, like, he'd heard me, like, talk, you know, repeatedly about the friends that I was struggling with. And like I said, this was years ago, and I was like, these friends, like, they're not, like, very good for me, they're not, like, giving me the things that I need, they're not helping me, and like, now I'm friends with Luke, so things haven't changed much, but, <laughs> sorry. Um, but so I've been talking to this counselor for a while about these friends, and then there's another time that I'm meeting with this counselor, and I'm talking about my relationship with God, and the counselor actually interrupts me at one point, and he just reflects back to me. He says, I'm not going to tell you what to do with this. I'm not even going to tell you what it means, but I'm just going to observe that everything you're saying about God right now and the way that you're wrestling with him, it sounds exactly the way that you talk about the way that you're wrestling with your friends the other weeks that you walk in here, right? Which means I'm like, God, that's what you're saying. I get that. I like that. <laughs> um, it, Jacob has this wrestling match. When you can imagine... He's expecting to have a physical hand-to-hand combat encounter with Esau, the one that he's expecting to have this sort of fisticuff moment with, is not some divine visitor, but it's it's actually his brother. Yet what God does is God shows up in the midst of that. Yeah, yeah. So like hopefully, like hopefully that means maybe you didn't walk in here today thinking, man, I've been wrestling with God. Maybe that's an experience you don't relate to. But maybe you've been wrestling with the people in your life, right? Maybe you've got some relationships that are in conflict. And, and maybe the invitation here is to find yourself in the story because of the ways that you're wrestling with people around you. No. So there's this peculiar encounter. The, the person says, let me go for the day is breaking. And then Jacob's response is, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob's doing well. He's got some grip on them, and he says, I'm not going to get rid of that grip until you give me one thing, and that's a blessing. And it doesn't say exactly what the blessing is, but what we do know is that Esau's coming towards Jacob. Jacob's hiding from his brother. Esau has not just his large self coming towards Jacob. He also has 400 men, and one can only imagine that the blessing Jacob wants is the circumstances that are without this sort of struggle. What he wants is a blessing probably of protection, of prosperity, of good health. And in that way, the blessing that Jacob wants probably isn't too distant from the blessing that, that we all want. When we think of blessings that we want, we want God to change something out there. God, change my circumstances. Change my bank account. Change my credit score. Change the way my coworkers look at me. Change the way my neighbors see me. Change them. But the blessing that Jacob is going to receive isn't about changing something out there. It's something in here. Yeah, so here's what's interesting. Um, this passage in the Old Testament is one of the most interpreted, named passages that you find in, in the Old Testament. So like in the first five books, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they call it the Torah. And another commentator points out, this is the most interpreted passage. Like we keep coming back to the story of a man begging God for the blessing that he wants, right? Which is interesting because in the New Testament and in the teachings of Jesus, like one of the most returned to passages is also a passage about blessing, right? I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, We don't actually like hear the blessing that God gives Jacob, but I think like many of us here would share the conviction that when God speaks, God sounds like Jesus. That's sort of at the center of our faith together, right? And so I think it'd be a fair move to, to imagine maybe the thing that God gave Jacob sounded a little bit 
like the blessings that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 5. Sometimes we call those the Beatitudes, right? Those are those ones that go like, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, right? But if it's possible that, that something like that is what Jacob heard, I want to just maybe like take us a little further into those blessings that Jesus gives. And because they're um, like part of the greatest hits, right, like you hear them a lot, I want to see if we can hear them fresh today and just kind of offer a retelling of what Jesus said there. Again, because maybe this is a little bit like what Jacob actually heard when he got that blessing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into it. You guys up for it? Sure. All right, we're going to get into it. Um, all right, so Jesus in Matthew 5, he looks uh, at the people that are gathered there, and he gets up on the hillside, and he sits down to offer his great teaching. And the first time he says uh, to these people, the first thing he says is, do you have a poverty within you? Like, do you look to that, that place inside where you would hope to find a fullness, that place inside where you would hope to find joy or hope or strength or courage or faith, and instead you look there and it's just empty, like a bank account with nothing left in it. He says, I'm going to bless you right there in your poverty because I believe the kingdom of God is so good and generous and available that it's going to overcome or overwhelm that deficit that you have within you. So he starts by naming that poverty of spirit. He says, I bless you right there. And then he says, have you lost something? Have you lost somebody you love or a relationship that you cherish or a dream that was calling you to a future? Did it all fall apart? Did you lose the job that you showed up for every day and then one day it was just gone and are you mourning that? Are you grieving that? He says, I'm actually gonna bless you in that sense of loss. I'm gonna name that sense of loss and say right there is where the blessing is because some kind of comfort will be a part of your experience of not ignoring your grief but turning toward it. He says, are you meek? Are you the kind of person who in a dog eat dog, each man, each woman for himself or herself world, where you only get the things that you can take for yourself? Are you the kind of person who hasn't had the power to take for yourself and so you're left empty handed when everybody else has what they need? He says, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna call you blessed in that empty handedness because you're gonna inherit the whole world. And he says, do you ache for things to be right within you or around you? Which is what he means when he talks about righteousness. For things to be right within you and around you in the world. Are you aching for it um, the way that uh, a famine strikes hunger in the belly? Are you thirsting for it the way that one feels when they are parched for water that they haven't had in way too long? He says, I'm going to bless you right in the middle of that ache, right in the middle of that hunger or thirst, because you're going to be filled with the best that God has to offer, but not by avoiding that hunger, but by naming it. And that seems to be the opposite of what Jacob has been grasping for his entire life. He's, he's been deceiving He's been lying, he's been doing whatever he can so that he would always have the stuff that prevents him from ever feeling poor in his spirit or in his bank account, from being run over, from losing anything. And the only thing he seems to be hungering and thirsting for is his own well-being. And the blessing that, that, that God seems to give is the opposite because what Jacob is wanting, he wants to acquire more, but God says there is a different kind of blessing. Yeah, right, like he, he, it's not a blessing of acquisition, it's a blessing of poverty the way that Jesus begins, right? But then he goes on, because Jesus isn't done. So after he names all these experiences of poverty and disempowerment, then Jesus begins to talk to his listeners about some of their power, right? And I'll show you in a second where it comes from for him, but he says, um, blessed are the merciful, which suggests that you have the power to hit back, but you don't, right? That something has been wronged against you, and you have the power to hit back, but you decide to refrain from doing that. And he reminds us that every one of us needs mercy ourselves because every one of us stands before God who would have every right to, to act justly against us for the things that we've done, but I wanna bless you in your mercy 
which is a certain kind of power. He says, when you're the kind of person who looks out upon the world and has the vision to see God everywhere, especially in the dark corners, I'm going to call that blessed. Those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. He says, uh, I'm going to bless the peacemakers in the world. That's a real kind of power too, right? Not the peacekeepers, not the ones that just hold it together, but the peacemakers, the ones who decide that they're going to forsake the tribes that they belong to so that they can help everybody find their way toward one another. It's like he knows that they're the ones who aren't going to belong anywhere except, he says, you're going to be called a child of God. Like you're going to experience the deepest knowledge of belonging that anyone could ever have, which is that you belong to God, but only when you become a peacemaker, which is to forsake the tribe that you came from so that you can bring us together. And then the last blessing that Jesus offers, I think is actually really hopeful, because he says, um, when evil comes against you because of who you are and what you stand for, I call you blessed. The language you're used to hearing is blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. But that's to say, right, that like your life has become such a force for good in the world that evil needs to try to take you out because you're a high value target. That's pretty promising, right? I mean, that's a life of a certain kind of power in the world. But you notice what came in the middle there is that it came from not acquiring all the goods, not building up the bank account, but from knowing who you are, a child of God. It's like he's taking us from acquisition to identity and from poverty to power. And I wonder if Jacob had the exact same kind of experience when he begged God for the blessing. Like maybe God spoke a blessing, but it wasn't the one he expected. Yeah, that's, that's what the text says. So uh, then he, this is the, the one that Jacob is wrestling with, says, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And that has to be a question that Jacob is sick of answering. Because every time someone says, what's your name? He says, I'm deceiver. I'm the dishonest one. I'm the liar. What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob. But Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. You are no longer deceiver, heel grabber, but instead you are now Israel, which means the one who wrestles with God. Frederick Beekner calls this the great, or excuse me, the magnificent defeat. Jacob is defeated. He has deceived his brother, he has deceived his father in law, he's tricked his own father. And he's been able to do that all his life. But he can't right now. He's defeated. So God says, you are now given a new name. And you're no longer known for what you've done, from what you've been called, but instead now your identity is in how you're related to me. Jacob is now told that if you want to define who you are, it is now as it always should have been in relationship to me. So I don't know about you guys, um... When I think about the Jacob story, at first I kind of think he's just a punk, right? He's kind of a punk. I mean, he takes from his father and his brother, but the more I meditate on the story, the more sympathy I have for Jacob, because this is a guy who from the very beginning was named for the worst parts of himself, right? I mean, the, the baby comes out of the womb grasping at his brother's heel, and that becomes his identity. You're the taker. You're the deceiver. You're the heel grabber. And I think a lot of us can identify with the experience of having been named early on in life for the worst parts of who we are, the darkest chapters in our story, the things that we're not proud of. Some of us have been named by a family of origin that had its own brokenness and difficult issues, and we've been carrying that around with us the rest of our lives. And I, I may not actually mean your name, right? But I mean everything that you wake up and is telling you who you are. 
right? Those stories and those whispers in the back of your head who tell you who you are. And Jacob is like a lot of us who have been taught who we are through the worst parts of, of what we've done. And then in this moment, it's like God is saying, like, I, I, I need to like wrestle you out of identifying with that because I'm going to lift your head and tell you the truth about who you are. And you're the kind of person I want to engage with. You're the person I want to call out in the world to live the kind of life that I've asked you to be here for. And maybe the invitation for us is to see that as our identity. And, and maybe the invitation for us is that we all know conflict. And maybe we don't have any conflict that's like Jacob and Esau. Maybe we do, maybe not. But we know what it's like to struggle in a relationship. We know what it's like to, to not be able to, to line things up right. We know what it's like to, to try as best as you can, but you never can see eye to eye. And we know how those type of struggles have a way of defining our moments, our moods, and our memory of even ourselves. And maybe the invitation for us is that God is wanting to say, those are ways for you to remind yourself that your ultimate identity is not in how you relate with one another, but, but with me. This whole anxiety about the coronavirus. I'm not downplaying it at all. Obviously, it's, it's terrible that, that, that lives have been lost and that many people are affected by it. But maybe the reason that so many of us are affected by it is because it brings to the front and center of our reality what we don't want to acknowledge. And what we don't want to acknowledge is that we are not permanent, that we're not going to last forever, that we can deny death all we want, but it is going to happen to us. And maybe this too is an invitation that God is using to say, don't forget that your ultimate identity is not in your health and in your wellness, but in your connection to me. And just as Jacob doesn't need to be known as his connection to his worst moments and his worst motives, maybe what God is telling all of us is that your ultimate identity has to be found in how you relate to me. So at the beginning we said um, that perhaps the ways that we wrestle with God are projections that come from the ways that we're wrestling with one another, right? But then the other might be true too, right? Which is that all the ways that we are wrestling with one another, all the conflict, all the insecurities, all the anger, all the frustrations, like maybe all of those are invitations to wrestle with God. And maybe, maybe like, like Jacob, maybe God comes at you in a way and you feel like God's your adversary. Um, but maybe the thing is God's not wrestling against you, but he's wrestling for you. Right? I mean, maybe um, the reason that God comes at Jacob is he's got to liberate him from these false stories and and deceptive identities that aren't the truth about who he is, but the only way he's going to get him there is to wrestle with him, right? Um, this, is, this is God, the adversary, who's for you, not against you, but it might feel like there's a fight. I like that every time you're talking about tension, you always point to me. That's really bothersome. Um, <laughs> we already covered that. Yeah. A couple years ago, I was trying to get uh, my first book published, and I was... Wait, you wrote a book? Yeah, thank you. Got it. Um, uh, <laughs> I was Hold on, me- can I tell them? I'm staying with these guys. <laughs> I walk into the room they have me in, and Luke set up the book promo poster, so I have to stare at it when I lay in bed at night. <laughs> I was just seeing what it looked like. It's new. I just got it in the mail. Uh-huh. Um, you guys can pre-order it now, though, if you want. Um, <laughs> March 18th. Um, May 18th. I'm just kidding. Um, book. First book, yes. And so I'm meeting with someone in Nashville about the book, and I've given them 20,000 words of what I hope to be, like, the beginning of my first book. And so I'm having this meeting. We're meeting over coffee, and um, this person looks at me and goes, 
yeah, I think, I think you've got a book to write, but it's not in here, so you need to throw all these 20,000 words away. And I was like, well, th- thank you, I guess. She goes, yeah, you, you got a, a book idea, but none of these are good words. These are all bad words. Not like they're all curse words, but you know what I'm saying, that whatever. But I think what this person was trying to say is that you have something, but none of this is who you actually are. This isn't your real writing. It's almost like God said to Jacob, what you know, I'm against that. I'm not against who you actually are. And to get to who you actually are, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be painful. But it's not because God is against you, but it's ultimately that God is for your truest self, who you are in, in Christ. When I was in high school, I was uh, a wrestler. And my junior year, before uh, our district tournament, our coach came in, and our wrestling coach was named Coach Santini. He was a large, very hairy Polish man. Just have that in your mind. And he comes into the wrestling room. There's, there's six wrestlers uh, who are still wrestling in the season. And he says, and again, this is terrible language. Don't, if you're a coach, don't talk to your kids like this. But this is what he said to me back when I was a wrestler. Forget how long it was. It was a long time ago. And he said, which one of you is the fattest in here? And, and they all looked at me. And I was like, well, that, that kind of hurts my feelings. And he said, well, how much overweight are you, Luke? And I said, well, I'm, I'm six pounds over the weight limit. And he goes, all right. And so for the next 15 to 20 minutes, every other wrestler just sat on the mats. And then Coach Santini just wrestled with me, trying to lose, I guess, six pounds in 20 minutes. And it was very un- unfun. It was not very fun. But what ultimately Coach was trying to do is to get me where I needed to be so that I could be the athlete that I was supposed to be. And sometimes when, when God wrestles with us, just as God wrestled with Jacob, it's not because God is against us, but, but God is against when you define yourself by that thing that happened 20 years ago. God is against when you define yourself as your worst moment. God is against your materialism. God is against your pride. God is against your legalism. Because more than anything else, God is for who you actually are. And none of those things are it. So uh, let's maybe just put all that together, right? There's a lot going on in this little encounter. Uh, But Jacob is on his way to an uncomfortable reunion with his brother. And as his brother comes across the plane toward him, his history is coming across the plane toward him, right? Like his chickens are coming home to roost or um, where he's been and what he's done is coming back. And so on his way to that reunion or encounter with his own history and with his family, God meets him in a wrestling match. He's begging for a blessing, which he's been asking for his whole life because he's a taker and a grabber. He wants more and more acquisitions to tell him that he's going to be okay. And perhaps God gives him the blessing, but it's not the one he wants. Maybe the blessing that God gives him is that he blesses his poverty and his empty-handedness. And he says, but in this wrestling match, I'm going to give you a new name. And it's a name that gives you a dignity that comes from your relationship with me, not from the mistakes that you've made. And this is what you're going to need to go back out into the world and make this right. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.